And good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from O2G Capital, and I'm really pleased to have back at the microphone Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. I'm going to get that right this time. I've shortened it because I keep on getting Superannuation Australia. It's a bit of a tongue twister for me. So I got it wrong a couple of times, and my editor was coming back to me and having a bit of a giggle. But we're going to get a little bit um, into some product knowledge today, Natasha. So thank you very much for for coming on the show. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me back. Wonderful. Now, one of the things that really caught my interest is life insurance has been in the news of late, and I, I guess people will be sitting there going, really? Uh, and <laughs> I guess when you think about all the other things that have been uh, in the news this year and with the Queen dying and with the war in the Ukraine and all of this kind of stuff, those of us in the industry will look at this and go, well, actually, the life insurance framework has been in the news quite a bit. And uh, I guess superannuation has been much discussed. And there's been a few changes, which we've talked about on the show as well. So, Natasha, we're covering off today life insurance, both within and outside of superannuation. Now, this was a uh, we're, we're using your slides that you actually did to the industry. Can you maybe spot, uh, maybe shine a spotlight on why you decided to focus on this as a presentation to the industry in the first place? Yeah, right. Thanks for that. Um, I think it's an important issue because most of us, whether we have insurance or not, um, it's important to know why it's why it is important, um, and to realise what the primary purpose of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of us we insure our personal assets such as our house, our car, our contents. Um, but when it comes to personal insurance, many of us overlook the importance of protecting our wealth because. Um, personal insurance is often seen as unnecessary or as a luxury or an additional thing to pay for on top of everything else that, you know, we've got going on at the moment. So I think it's an important topic um, and mainly because it does provide you with that financial support um, to preserve your life or your family's way of life if something were to happen to you, um, you know, whether it's an accident, a serious illness or death. So it it is important and so that's the reason why I I wanted to talk to um, people about the importance of having insurance, whether it's inside or outside of super. And I guess that's one of the things we'll delve into during the course of today's discussion, because I'm guessing that many, many people out there probably are aware that you can get life insurance within super. And that's possibly because of, uh, I guess, industry super and private superannuation firms have been uh, selling life insurance. But to many instances, they've not been, you know, the consumers have not been aware of it. But I think more than anything, and and again, I would put out there, ladies and gentlemen, today, we're not going to be giving any advice. So we're not talking about whether you should or shouldn't have life insurance. That's always your decision. And Natasha, as always, we recommend, you know, if you're not sure, go and see a personal uh, financial planner um, and make your own decision. We're only providing information for education. So... um, Look, life insurance, I guess, is like many other forms of insurance. Nobody really likes to buy it until you really need it. That would be fair to say for life insurance as well? I agree. Yeah, definitely. As, as, as I mentioned, many of us, we overlook it. Um, we cover things like our home, our car contents and all of that, but we don't think about insuring ourselves, whether it be our life, whether it be our ability to earn an income. So it's one of those things that is often neglected or forgotten about. 
Mm. And I, I don't watch an awful lot of commercial telly, but uh, the, the little bit of commercials that I get exposed to, for example, on SBS, when I'm not filtering through all the gambling ads, and I, I've had a big rant about that in the last couple of shows, so I'm not going to go down that little wormhole today. But um, I notice there are some uh, fairly large insurers that are out um pressing the button uh, on things like life insurance and funeral insurance. So I guess as a as an overall nutshell, Natasha, from your perspective at TSA, why should people be looking at life insurance? So you, you were talking at the outset about protecting wealth. So it's not really about protecting yourself, is it? That's right, Ray. Um, look, it's it's wealth protection is is there. It's it's considered to be the foundation of all good wealth plans, wealth mm-hmm. protection plans, because without wealth protection, which is insurance, um, even even the most best wealth creation plans can go awry. So it's all about having peace of mind, that is insurance. So it's best to plan for tomorrow by obtaining advice about whether you need insurance cover, uh, the types of insurance cover that you might need, and also how to best structure that cover. So it is, in my opinion, very important to consider, um, you know, to, to protect your wealth and also protect yourself and, and potentially your income as well. And again, when I forwarded you my questions, I had in my second question there, while we don't delve into personal advice on dollars and making sense, generally there are groups of people that I certainly would go out and say, to, look, you don't need life insurance. And I have three children, for example, all in their 20s. They don't have mortgages. They don't have personal debt per se. So if somebody said to me, you know, if they came to me and said, gee, dad, I just had a salesperson wanting to sell me life insurance or uh, life insurance within my super I'd say to them, no, absolutely not. Now, the same thing with pensioners and the like and and empty nesters as well. If you don't have commitments, uh, I guess life insurance, and I think I I really like that term you've just used, actually, wealth protection insurance, I think is a better way of putting it then, really. Agree, agree, Ray. Like typically insurance is recommended for those people who, have a partner or have a family with dependent children who depend on them financially mm-hmm. or people with mortgages, debts to repay, credit cards, or even small business owners where they want to protect the business yeah. um, or protect the business owners in the event Absolutely. of a planned exit. Yep. So typically, you know, that's who insurance is recommended for. But as you say, if you don't have a partner, if you don't have any children or anyone that depends on you financially, then you might not need it. So... In saying that, though, it might still be worthwhile considering particular types of cover still, such as total and permanent disability cover or potentially some income protection or some trauma cover just in case you get sick or injured. So yeah. that could be something you you could consider. See, I harp back to my um, my first year or so when I was in when I retrained into the finance industry, and I was a planner for a little while. And the first question I would ask potential clients uh, around life insurance is forget about the types of cover or whatever. I would simply pose a what if question: What if all of a sudden you died tomorrow? Okay, what would happen to all your loved ones? What situation would they be in? And I think, guess that really poses that that crunch question of, you know, the the what if. And I then also said, okay, so that's the husband, for example, when I was talking to a guy. If the wife wasn't around, you know, how would you, you know, cope with your children or your elderly parents or, you know, a whole range of different things that are out there that can potentially sort of go wrong. Now, 
uh, I, I guess anecdotes are always a really good way of doing this. I, I have a very real life experience. My brother, for example, passed at 34 from a very unexpected uh, heart attack. Uh, he had life insurance. Now, one of the really nice things, uh, in amongst all the tragedy of losing someone at 34 years old, it was awful. But the one thing that they didn't have to worry about was you know, looking after a child, uh, a mortgage and all of that. That was all taken care of. And in amongst all of that, I've I got to say, wow, what a, a – you mentioned it yourself, an excellent peace of mind in that regard. So with that – Let's move on a little bit now. We talk about life insurance companies, and I don't particularly want to mention uh, brand names per se, but a lot of them have been in the news of recent times around uh, services that are provided without fees or whatever, and we're not going to get into that today. What I do want to specifically talk about is being able to purchase life insurance both within superannuation and outside of superannuation. So let's cover off the first one being uh, within insurance, life uh, within superannuation. So Natasha, what's the normal way that people would usually purchase life insurance within uh, within their super fund? Yeah, right. Um, so insurance is uh, typically available within within superannuation, and super funds can typically provide life insurance life life insurance. Um, or it's also known as death cover. They also offer um, total and permanent disability insurance, which is TPD, yep. TPD yep. Um, and income protection cover. So there are three types of income protection cover that your fund can provide you. Now, lots of funds will typically provide you with a default or a basic level of cover, um, or you can go out there and, and uh, apply for insurance, retail insurance cover within within a super fund um, up to uh, you know limits that you might want. So over and above those basic limits. Excellent. So it is available within your fund um, or you can go and apply for it within another fund. Um, and there are many advantages of, of obtaining insurance inside of superannuation. Okay, so look, it's about time for a break. We're going to delve a little bit more into how people might do this within their super superannuation environment, both uh, industry, private and SMSFs, so self-managed super funds. So we're just about due for a short break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. I'm really pleased to have at the microphone today Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. We'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Always a pleasure to have your company. And at the microphone today, I'm really pleased to have one of my regular contributors, Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super Australia. And today we are talking about life insurance cover both within a superannuation fund and outside a superannuation fund. So first of all, let's cover life insurance cover within a super fund. So we're talking about it just before we went to the break. And one of those funny things that there's been a bit of legislative change of recent years as well, Natasha, that I'd like to cover off. Back in uh, maybe even only five or so years ago, it was kind of mandatory, wasn't it, that if you joined a super fund, you got life insurance whether you liked it or not? That's that's right. Um, all super funds must generally provide you with a default level of, of cover. Mm -hmm. um, that's always been the way, and particularly for SMSFs as well. It's actually a requirement of the super legislation that as a trustee of your fund, you must consider whether the members of your fund require insurance as part of your investment strategy. So that's 
that's always been there. But you're right, Ray, there has been some changes over the last few years where mainly as a, a consumer protection measure um, to ensure that people who, who might have cover inside their fund and that they don't know about are protected <laughs> and so that their funds are not eroded by, say, insurance premiums or yes. things, right? So, you know, typically some people call it junk insurance, but um, it, the whole aim was to kind of minimise or reduce that effect of erosion on a person's fund. And so these laws effectively, um, unless somebody opts in to keep that insurance cover, trustees can't provide insurance to members uh, in a my super fund or in a choice type of superannuation fund where the funder becomes inactive. So in other words, if if a super fund has not received, if your super fund has not received a contribution for at least 16 months or more, uh, or if your super fund has, has, a, has a low super balance, such as under $6,000, or if you're a young person, which is defined to be someone under the age of 25. So if, if one of these three um, situations occur, then typically um, trustees cannot provide insurance to you if you fall into one of those categories, unless, of course, you opt into keeping your cover. Mm. So. Yes. So if you are if you are impacted by these changes or were impacted by these changes, you, you would have been uh, made aware by your fund. Um, and if you were made aware and you wanted to keep that cover, then you can simply opt in to keep it. I guess one of the things that I despair about, and, and I have three primary examples living under my roof, <laughs> given that I have three children, they all have super. Uh, which thankfully is mandatory these days and with the SG being at 10.5%. And now since July 1, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of how much you make per month, you get super on the entire amount, which I'm really thrilled about. I, I think that was a, a big move forward, particularly for women. And one of my other guests, Philippa Hunt, we talked about this a lot, Natasha, that you know, the latest changes, I think, are a real positive. But one of the things that makes me despair is, and I'm curious from an industry perspective, given that you represent, you know, thousands and thousands of practitioners out there in the, in the, in, in the profession, how many people actually take time to read their super annual statement and actually understand whether they've got insurance cover or not? Because my kids just look at it and go, do I really have to read this? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a good point you make. It's it's surprising how many people don't know um, whether they have insurance inside super, and if they do, how much it is, and the mm. type of cover they have within their funds. So, uh, really important that if if you're unsure, uh, give your fund a call or log into your uh, member account of from your super fund just to have a look at what that might be. Um, and if you do need cover, and it turns out that you have a basic amount in there, then it might be worthwhile. Um, you know, seeking some advice to see whether that should be increased or decreased or whether you do need it at all. Um, so really important exercise just to be aware of what's in your fund uh, and, and the premiums that you are, of course, paying for for that type of cover or that level of cover within your fund. I think one of the things that always, uh, when I look at life insurance within super funds, it is very attractive because it's very cost effective. You have this 
grouping effect, I guess, the, the, the scales of economy of millions of members that are specifically, for example, in the industry super funds, where you do get that scale of, of and benefit of, of having you know, far better rates. The thing that concerns me, though, and I'd like you to comment on this one way or the other, is you don't necessarily have one size fits all life in life cover i think like many things out there when in insurance you know <clears throat> one size doesn't always fit all and the assumption that if you tick the box everything's okay i think can be fraught with danger don't you think i do i agree um i think that is one of the downsides of having insurance cover in super particularly if it's uh, a, a group insurance type cover or that basic level of cover that you might have within your fund um, because that type of cover is is often lower than what you could get outside of super or within a, another super fund um, and this type of default insurance through super isn't specific to your circumstances and some additional eligibility requirements may apply so I suppose to avoid this risk you could purchase a retail insurance policy through super or outside of super um, and although this type of retail cover requires a much more detailed application process, um, and it may include underwriting your personal history, and it, and it might be a little bit more in terms of premiums than what you would obviously what you would otherwise have within your fund as default cover. Mm -hmm. um, this type of retail cover can provide you with better quality cover, um, better definitions, uh, and, and a lot more confidence that a payment will likely is likely to be made at claim time. So I, that's what, yeah. I think you've really hit that nail right on the head. Just because you have insurance company covered doesn't necessarily mean you are covered. One of the things that, again, I despair because people don't read their documentation. There's something that applies with every single piece of insurance you buy, whether it be life, uh, house, contents, car, whatever. Something called, ladies and gentlemen, the great out clause for insurers duty of disclosure. Now, why do I know about duty of disclosure is because even though I love my dearly, you know, my, my lovely wife, etc. but when we were younger, you know, she was diagnosed with bowel cancer and being an, an early recipient of, <laughs> of a cancer uh, diagnosis when she was only 40 odd years old, you know, we went through all the trauma, we, we dealt with it and, you know, she's cancer clear now and we're really happy about that but try and get life cover after you've had cancer uh, and you just can't simply tick the box in these one size fits all life covers because we know my wife knows and everybody that will pick up the phone and talk to our family doctor will know sooner or later that my wife's had bowel cancer and a life insurer underwriter will sit there and go hmm, I'm not so sure we're not going to put an override or we're going to double the premium or actually we might not cover you at all. And this is the thing I think that scares me the, the most, Natasha, about the tick and flick type of life insurance that I see on telly, for example, where they simply say, hey, you can pick up 100K to a million cover, no medicals required and off you go. There is fine print there, isn't there? There is. There is, there is fine print. Um and, and you need to make sure, as you say, your duty to disclose everything is there. You do that because if it's found that you are, um, you haven't told your insurer everything about your situation or that could be reasonably expected, um, 
to determine an insurance de- insurer's decision whether to insure you or not, uh, <laughs> well, then there's that risk, right, that, that you may not get paid out on claim time. So you really I- want to avoid that and make sure that you're absolutely clear about all that's going on in your life and your, in your history. I, I think you just said the two words that gives insurers huge discretion, reasonably expected. <laughs> They're wonderful disclaimers, aren't they? What should you reasonably expect to tell your insurer? Now, I wonder, Natasha, I wonder, <laughs> because oh, no. in reality, and this is why I guess as part of a, a, an education program like Dollars and Making Sense, I'm simply trying to say to people, look, the cover is out there. And I think what the insurers are doing by making it easy for people to pick life insurance within super like that is excellent. I, I, I you know, that the kids don't have to worry about that, especially for TPD, okay, for, for uh, permanent disability and trauma. I think it's a, a brilliant way to cover and it's low fuss, no fuss. You don't have to go through the whole palaver of talking to an advisor. And I guess that kind of one size fits all is good that people are then covered because do do you have the stats for example natasha on how underinsured we are as a society not off the top of my head um and i did used to know it uh, the number but it's not fabulous is it no it's not we we do have an underinsurance issue here in australia and um you know ensuring that people are covered uh and just that whole education piece about what insurance is and the different types and why you might need it is important, I think, to address this under-insurance issue. Uh, and the more we talk about it, um, the, the better that we can kind of explain that to people and, and make them realise that it might be important for their situation and, and for them to consider seeking some advice about that. Mm. And I, I, as always, we say to people, if you're not sure, seek advice. Uh, and again, my discussions with Philip Hunt on this and, and my other uh, collaborator, uh, Phil Osborne, who is a planner himself, it's becoming increasingly difficult to talk to financial planners because of this very high bar now that is set to actually engage a planner. Uh, do you still think that uh, through the life insurance companies themselves, it is still relatively pain-free to go and have specific life insurance tailored these days, or is that becoming harder now as well, do you think? I think um, with with a lot of competition out there, life insurers out there, it's um, they are quite competitive. So, and the products are becoming uh, a lot more flexible, where you can have a, a, a policy within super that meets all of the definitions of superannuation and the conditions of release, which is, you know, something that you need to meet in order to get that cover out of your fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's obviously got to meet those definitions within super and the policy definitions as well. But within super, you are restricted um, in terms of the types of cover you can have and the definitions of the cover within super. But for all the extra bells and whistles that you can't have within super, lots of insurers out there allow you to have link that policy to a policy outside of super so you can have mm. all those bells and whistles outside of super. So outside. you're not compromising on the type of cover um, that you actually have, particularly if you want it in super because of cash flow reasons and the rest of it. So they are 
getting creative and flexible in order to, you know, allow people to have the best of both worlds, whether that's it, whether that being inside super and outside of super. So there is a solution to get around um, any issues that that um, you might face if you if you're wanting to take it out in super. So buying life insurance through super does provide some tax benefits. What what are some of those benefits, Natasha? Yeah, look, there are there are benefits of having insurance inside super. The the first one I, I mentioned it is that um, the cash flow uh, advantage, where you can fund your insurance premiums from your existing super balance, uh, which can help you manage your cash flow and affordability of premiums. You can also use contributions that you make in, to your fund to fund your um, to fund your contributions. You might even make a uh, want to claim a tax deduction for any personal contributions you 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 uh, put to your fund, whether it's a personal deductible contribution or if your salary is sacrificing to your fund. Mm-hmm. Um, using pre-tax salary can also provide you with those uh, cost savings on your premiums. So they are they are some ways where you can make contributions to your fund, claim a tax deduction for them, or use salary sacrifice. Uh, contributions to pay for your premiums using pre-tax dollars. So that's always going to help if you can salary sacrifice. Um, but there are there are benefits of having it inside super as well. Upon claim time, um, depending on the type of cover, you can receive a lump sum, you can potentially start an income stream with those benefits or have a combination of both. So there, so there is flexibility if you have that cover inside of super um, as opposed to having it outside. Now, it's worthy to note as well that things like spouse contribution offsets, LISTO, the low income super tax offset, and the government co-contribution, which uh, many, many people may not be aware, but that, that actually flows into their super, that can be used as well to to purchase life insurance, can't it? It can, yeah. So that's really helpful for those people who are low to medium income earners. So mm-hmm. earning somewhere between, um, you know, 37 to maximum $40,000. So if you're in that bracket of around $37,000, then you can be eligible for those spouse contributions and low-income listo and government co-contribution and all of that. So you could use these government tax concessions to help pay towards your premium. So that that is something that that can help pay for premiums for those low- to middle-income earners. Wonderful. Look, it's just about time for another break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm here with Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Always a pleasure to have your company. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Always a pleasure to have your company. And at the microphone today, I'm really pleased to welcome back Natasha Panagis, one of our regular contributors. And she is an expert in superannuation from Tax and Super Australia. Now, just to quickly remind our listeners, uh, Natasha, who is Tax and Super? I know and you know, but our listeners may not remember. Just a um, a, a quick history lesson on Tax and Super. Yeah, so we're a um, Tax and Super Australia, we're a not-for-profit uh, member-based organisation and we assist tax and super professionals. We've been doing that for over 100 years. Um, we've got about uh, a subscriber list of just over 15,000 uh, people and around 4,000 members who are mainly accountants, tax agents, superannuation professionals, 
financial advisors, so the whole gamut um, who are uh, professionals that are in uh, public practice. So, um, yeah, our job is to educate and, and empower them so that they can provide the best possible advice to their clients being, being uh, you know, the average Australian. So, ladies and gentlemen, you may not be aware of it, but your accountant or financial planner or tax planner is probably a member of Natasha's organisation. You may not know it, but Tax and Super is uh, big and they've got a lot of tentacles out there. And again, Natasha is an expert in her field and it's always a pleasure to have her here on the show. Now, before we went to a break, we were talking about some of the different ways that within Super you can fund life insurance. Now, there are some tax deductions available to people as well. So, Natasha, why don't you cover off what those tax deductions are that you can claim if you purchase life insurance from within your super fund? That's right, Ray. So, from a a member's perspective, if you're making contributions to your fund and you're claiming a tax deduction for those contributions, uh, so that's typically it's called a personal deductible contribution. You can you can claim a tax deduction for that type of contribution and use that to pay for your premiums. Otherwise, you could also uh, salary sacrifice to your super fund and and uh, claim a tax deduction um, on, on that as well when you lodge your tax return. Um, obviously, paying for those premiums using your pre-tax salary. So that will also provide you with cost premiums on your on your. Um, cost savings on your premiums, I should say. But from a super fund perspective, a super fund can also claim uh, deductions for premiums, uh, which could be quite handy if you have your own self-managed super fund, because premiums will be deductible to the trustee or to the fund um, when those premiums are paid. Uh, and it's typically for uh, death or, or life cover, uh, total total and permanent disability cover, and income protection cover. So if your fund has this type has these types of cover that cover their members, then they can typically uh, deduct those premiums, 100% of that cost uh, for Fabulous. the fund. So when you're doing the return for the fund, then that's that's an expense that can be claimed as a deduction. Now, before we went to the break, you were mentioning that people then have this flexibility of with payments so that they can either take a lump sum, a pension or a combination thereof. So I, I won't go over that again, but one of the other aspects, uh, I guess, with personally held um, insurance, uh, sorry, insurance within super, there are some pitfalls, aren't there, that people need to consider. So using your super's cash flow is kind of nice because you don't have to dip in your own pocket, but it does come at a cost, doesn't it? It certainly does. I think one of the biggest disadvantages of having insurance inside super is that those premiums can erode your retirement savings, particularly if you don't make any extra contributions to negate that premium cost. Mm. So if you're not at least making a contribution to cover that cost, then you're going to see a reduction in the in your balance. So that's one of the big ones. Um the other thing to think about is if you are going to be making contributions to fund those premiums, remember that those contributions are going to count towards your contribution cap as well. So um, you need to factor that in. The other big one is the tax implications on payout. Now, mm-hmm. the amount of tax that will be payable upon claim time is going to depend on a whole range of factors. Um, for example, it comes down to your age. Um, the existing components within your fund, whether you've, you know, the amount of taxable or tax-free component you have within your fund, within your super account, and whether that benefit will be paid as a lump sum or an income stream. So a whole range of things will determine whether any tax will be payable on payout. But just to give you an idea, if you're 
Um, you know, if, we, if we're talking about death benefits, um, if your spouse was to receive uh, a death benefit from your super fund, which consists of that insurance amount as well, um, as a lump sum, then that whole amount will be tax-free because your spouse is considered to be a, a tax dependent of yours. But if your adult child was to receive that amount as a lump sum, well, then um, in that situation, an adult financially dependent child would be subject to tax on that death benefit. So there would be tax on payout. And similar situation applies to uh, TPD benefits as well. You know, typically, if you're under 60 and you receive a TPD benefit from your super fund, then you can expect to pay tax on that as well. Um, but, you know, if you're 60 plus, um, generally it's going to be tax-free for you. Uh, but if you're under 60, that's where you might have some tax um, that might be that might need to be paid um, upon claim time. Now, one of the slides that I, I read talks about ensuring that you align to a condition of release. I guess one of those things is I look at conditions of release being, well, if you're dead, you're dead. But um, what are the conditions of release that you've seen professionally that have tripped people up? Yeah, that's right, Ray. Um, so with super, in order to get your benefits out of your fund, you've got to meet uh, something called a condition of release, okay? So that's within the legislation and that permits a benefit to be paid out. As you say, if you're dead, you're dead. So that condition of release is easily <laughs> met, life insurance. But where it does get tricky is if you become TPD. Um, here's where you've got to meet that TPD definition, condition of release, uh, in accordance with the super legislation, which which effectively says that the super fund trustee must be satisfied that the member's ill health, i.e. your ill health, whether that's going to be physical or a mental ill health, mm -hmm. is going to make it unlikely that you'll ever be able to engage in gainful employment for which you are reasonably qualified by education, training or experience. Now, this definition is known as the any occupation definition for TPD. So, it can be it can be tricky to meet. You typically you generally have to uh, not be able to ever work again in in any type or line of work that you have edu education or training or experience in. So you really got to be in a, in a in a worst or a bad state in order to meet that TPD definition, which is why a lot of people think about potentially taking TPD insurance outside of super because the definition of TPD outside of super can be your own occupation, which is easier to meet. You just have to be TPD in order to not be able to perform your own occupation rather than the any occupation definition in super, which is, you know, casts a wide, a net oh. wide um, uh, it makes it harder for you to meet if it's in. Very much so. And in consideration of the last two to three years with the pandemic, we've become very used to work from home scenarios. I'm sure there are many insurers, if I'm being very cynical, that are suggesting beauty. This means that we don't have to, you know, the conditions of release have all of a sudden become a lot harder because there's a tonne of gainful employment that can be had and people don't have to walk out their front door. Have you seen evidence of this or am I just being overly cynical? I must admit I I haven't seen any um, or heard of any information um, that, that covers this type of scenario, but but these definitions have uh, been aligned to these, these insurance definitions have aligned to the condition of release because the law changed back in July 2014 mm -hmm. and effectively said, um, say that super fund trustees, if they're taking out policies to cover their members, 
those policy definitions have to align to these condition of release definitions. And the reason for that is because they want to make sure that if people have cover inside super, that it is going to be payable in the time that they're going to need it. Yeah. So, you know, make it fit for purpose. If people have insurance inside super, it has to be available if and when they need it. So that's why they've got to meet these conditions of release definitions and it's all aligned. So the only type of cover you can't take out within super is trauma cover. So that has to go outside of super, be be structured outside of super. But in terms of life cover or terminal illness cover or TPD or income protection, that can all be inside, but trauma cover must be kept outside of super, particularly from the 1st of July 2014. Okay, so I'm just going to move on a little bit. You've got this wonderful graph. I'm a, I love graphs, ladies and gentlemen. It's just one of those things. I'm more of a visual kind of guy. And so when I see a graph, uh, particularly an equity graph, because I'm a fund manager as well, Natasha, I just go all all funny and weak at the knees. I know it's a very sad joke for a person of the of my uh, my ongoing years. But you've got this wonderful graph that somebody that takes out uh, money to uh, buy life insurance from within their super at age 46 and the impact on their eventual savings within super. And, and again, I'm fairly certain this is a fairly average kind of yield curve, but the difference is really quite staggering. I mean, we're talking about a difference in yield between 494000 and 462000 in this particular instance. So that's that's a $32,000 difference, or roughly uh, on those kind of numbers, that's about a 6 to 7% difference in payout at the end. So that's quite an impact and really does lend truth to the please make sure you know what you're doing because the compounding effect of using today's dollars in a super fund and I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, to those of you that raided your super during the pandemic and taking two lots of 10,000 out, same kind of impact, guys, because, you know, down the road, 10, 15, 20 years, it's pretty big, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, that's, I, I mentioned, I think this is the biggest, one of the biggest issues of having insurance inside super, particularly if you're not making contributions to negate that cost. Um <laughs> You just need to think that every dollar you spend on an insurance premium is a dollar less invested for retirement. And this impacts the impact of this compounding over time is can be quite large, particularly if you have a long investment horizon as well. So what you're really doing, this cost impact of insurance is simply being deferred from today's cash flow. Um, to future cash flow. So mm. it's important to consider those long-term impacts and what strategies might be out there to manage this. So a simple strategy could be looking at making concessional contributions or non-concessional contributions at least equivalent to those insurance premiums, which can help negate that effect. So in other words, you're saying, you know, you're tipping more money into the top to make sure that it doesn't leak out the bottom. Yeah. Sorry if I, I'm, I'm going to simplify <laughs> that, no, right. that discussion right. a little bit. But I guess I'm going to jump ahead a little bit with, with some of the slides because this slide deck is a presentation that you did to the industry. So these are practitioners and you go into a fair bit of depth and we're not going to go into that today. But I just want to talk uh, contextually around how ASIC, the, the regular looks at this because I guess one of the things that financial planners and tax accountants and tax professionals have to be careful in when they're talking to their clients and saying buying life insurance within super or outside of super, 
this context of the overall cost and impact on their lifetime savings is something that I think cannot be just waved away, can it? No, it can't. Um, so advisors, if, if, if there are making a recommendation, if your advisor is going to make a recommendation that you, you know, structure insurance inside your fund, then they need to have a proper conversation with you and make you understand um, a whole range of things. So all the pros and cons of it, um, for example, understand that this policy is owned by the trustee of your fund. So if you're, you've got your own SMSF, then that policy is owned by your fund on behalf of you as the member. So understand that structuring. You also need to understand the tax implications on payout. So I quickly touched upon those earlier um, just before, uh, but it's really important to understand that because if you have insurance outside of super, there, there is no tax on payout um, if you're having it structured outside of super. But if it's in super, you you know, you've got that issue where tax may be payable depending on your age and the way you take your benefit. Understand the estate planning issues as well. This is an important thing that you need to Ooh, be, yeah. be aware of. <laughs> a lot of people think super is a uh, personally personally held asset um, and it's not dealt with by your will. Um <laughs> But in fact, you know, it's not it's not the case. You must ensure that your beneficiary nomination is up to date. It reflects your wishes because you need to have a think about that, who you want your benefits to go to. So when I say your benefit, I'm talking about your super balance and your And your death cover, yeah. And your, your death, death cover. cover. Because if there is no nomination of beneficiary, then the super fund trustee is going to use their discretion on how to pay that death benefit and it might end up in the wrong hands. So understanding all of these things and, and understanding the big one, which is, you know, those premiums are going to erode your savings um, and 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 may impact your retirement objectives, which means, you know, you might need to work longer to save for your retirement if you haven't been making contributions along the way. And so when I look at when I look at the ASICS life insurance advice checklist, it's fairly lengthy. There's eight criteria there that that, that the report uh, details. And uh, I, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, it's one of those things that you know. Hopefully, you know, if you are engaging an FP or your accountant to look at these things, that they carefully consider that holistic view. Don't you think, Natasha? Definitely, definitely. Any good advisor would consider all of those things. It's it's you know what they do on a daily, and it's. And it's the little things where it's talking to you about working out what your objectives are, what your financial situation looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing a whole risk review, a review of your insurance needs, what types of cover you need, uh, you know, finding out the levels of levels of cover you might need. So asking all those questions, doing a deep dive into your situation, working that all out, and then providing that those recommendations to you um, in in a you know a statement of advice or in documentation that they that they present you uh, with when they give you their recommendations. So you know any good certified financial planner would be able to to give you that advice. It's just about finding uh, the right one that that can help you. And and I'd also add into the conversation, Natasha, and again, through personal experience, not my personal experience, but somebody in my immediate circle of friends, uh, they're going through, uh, unfortunately, a divorce. And uh, given our later stages of life, when you're looking at divorce, most people think, you know, five, 10 years of marriage. We're talking 32 years of marriage. And it's sad on so many different fronts. But then all of a sudden, the real whip in the tail comes along when looking at super and life cover and a number of these factors that were all ensconced in 
the goods and chattels and the split of assets, oh, my word, all of a sudden super becomes one of those. It, it almost becomes a nasty word. I, I'm just I, I'm horrified because when people go to war um, and they've known each other that long, they they particularly well skilled in being able to find the right pain points, I've got to say. And ladies and gentlemen, the, it's called a BDBN, a Binding Death Benefit Notification. Uh, they have time limits on them, don't they, Natasha? They do. Typically, they uh, must be renewed every three years. So uh, if, you've, if you're in a large, uh, large super fund, an industry super fund or a retail one, then typically these uh, Binding Death Benefit nominations have a three-year uh, lifespan, so you need to update them every three years. Um, unless, of course, it's non-lapsing. If it's non-lapsing, that just means that it con- it continues indefinitely until you revoke it. Um, but if you've got your own SMSF, then, of course, that will just depend on uh, your trust deed. You could have a binding nomination within your SMSF and it doesn't and, and, and it won't necessarily um, need to be updated every three years. So when an, in an SMSF, it just depends on your own trust deed uh, rules and, and and what that stipulates. So typically that, that could be in, in indefinite as well. So really important that you review these nominations, whether it's binding, whether it's non-lapsing or non-binding. Non-binding simply means that you're allowing the trustee discretion in terms of how to pay your benefits. But Review these um, on an ongoing basis, particularly where your life situation <laughs> might change, you know, birth, and, death, marriages, relationship breakdowns, all of those and, key events. And make sure it's not your ex-wife if you don't want your ex-wife to get the money or your ex-husband. My God, it's just talk right, about it. People don't update it, you know. You oh, no. What a what a tangled web i kid you not i just you think you've heard it all and then you hear the next one it's like oh no that's a new one as well it's just one of those funny things i guess well look natasha there's a lot more that we could cover off but i think we've covered off the the nub we haven't talked about life insurance outside but we have covered out covered off a a number of the factors obviously there's a lot more flexibility but you're using your after-tax dollars i think is the big difference that we're talking about and that's why i really wanted to focus today's discussion around using super money because that's money that you really normally can't touch so i think it's a good place to be look i i think it's worthy that we come back and have another chat at another time on on some of the aspects there's still a ton load of slides that we haven't covered off but i, I feel like we've covered off some good stuff today um do, do you want to round off any final uh, points before we finish up yeah look i think it's really important just to make sure you check your statement um do you have cover and if so is it enough Read your annual statement. Yes. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, you know, if you've bought a new house and you're now in debt or you've just had a child or, um, you know, or you've had changes to your income, you were once upon a time earning a lot of money, but now you've, re- you know, you've taken a step back and you've cut down your hours and your income is reduced or your health and lifestyle has improved. If all of these things are happening, then it's worthwhile doing uh, getting a review of your circumstances, working out, do you need more mm-hmm. cover, do you need less cover? And, and particularly if you have an SMSF, it's mandatory that SMSF trustees must consider insurance when they're Every formulating year. or reviewing their investment strategy, which must Absolutely. be done at least on an annual basis. So have I, a think about that. 
I just yeah. got reminded by my accountant, Ray, your investment strategy is not up to scratch. You need to rewrite it. <laughs> there you go. So that would be my my tip, just to just to have a a review of your circumstances and just to make sure is it all there and 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 if so. Or if not, then and then have a look at uh, getting some advice about um, whether you do need it. Wonderful. Natasha, it's always a pleasure to have you here on Dollars and Making Sense. Again, you've turned uh, what could be a fairly dry subject, I think, into something pretty darn good today, talking about life insurance cover within super. It's something that doesn't get talked a lot about. I'd like to thank you very dearly for coming along and chatting with us today and my audience. Really appreciate it. I'd certainly like to have you back and we'll talk a little bit more about life insurance outside of super. So Natasha Panagis from Tax and Super, thank you very kindly for your time. 